What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. And hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler. I'm the host. I'm a lucky man. I get to talk to Victor Davis Hanson. He is the star and the namesake of the show. He's the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. A lot to talk about today. You know, Victor, we have, can't help but talked a lot in the past about the FBI and the Department of Justice, and it looks like we're going to have to do that again today. A strange nexus of the FBI and Latin mass, amongst other things. So we'll get to those issues and more. Immigration, the massive cost of of uh, border madness. We'll get to that, um, start to begin to get to, to that right after these important messages. <laughs> Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, They've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So, Victor, I'd like to uh, let's if we might start talking about the Department of Justice and the FBI first. Uh, I'd like to use as a ju- just a jumping off uh, my our, my former colleague, friend, you know, well, Andy McCarthy is a piece uh, in the National Review today on the you know the eleventh. It's titled "Contempt Charges uh, Should Be Just the Start If FBI and DOJ Officials Defy." House subpoenas. 
And at the end of this piece, uh, he has a he has a fiscal uh, consideration if they if they do defy. But defying subpoenas, Victor, we've talked about that in the past. It seems like it's inappropriate, depending on your uh, inappropriate if you're a Republican or conservative, meaningless if you happen to be a Democrat. The subpoena requests that uh, that have been issued by these House committees are being treated callously and Andy's words snippy snipply by the Department of Justice and the FBI. And Victor, if you give your thoughts on that, and then separately after we do that, I'd like to talk about some of the FBI uh, actions in in um, uh, Richmond, Virginia, uh, targeting Roman Catholics. Anyway, Victor, let's start your your thoughts in general about how DOJ and FBI have been response their responsiveness to these subpoena requests. You got to remember that the left does not believe in reciprocity. They do not believe in it. They believe that they're singularly smarter than we are and they're more moral. And therefore, they get certain leeways and exemptions. So they have to do what they have to do. Again, John Kerry's got to get on that Gulf Stream. You can't use your leaf blower because he is morally superior and he's here to change and save us. And that's what that same principle applies to these subpoenas. So if during the Trump administration, and especially during during the close of it, there were things that hadn't been done before. So they started criminalizing subpoenas. Usually they negotiate with the person, etc. But Peter Navarro put him in Lake Chachan, arrested Steve Biden, Biden, excuse me, let me do that over, arresting Steve Bannon, and they tried him and they convicted him. And they went after John Eastman. And remember the House Ways and Means Committee for months wanted Donald Trump's tax records. And they lied about him the same manner that Harry Reid had lied about Mitt Romney's in 2012. And they got them. And that was a precedent that you could take a president's IRS confidential returns and you could uh, explore them in Congress. They found nothing. They found that he was... They went from he's a very clever, sneaky businessman that screwed us out of a lot of money, people, to, my God, he's an utter idiot. He lost all this money, so he didn't pay income tax on it. So that that's where they were. But they set precedents, and the precedent was if the House took over, they could do what the Democrats did. So now they're subpoenaing, and they want tax records. And all of a sudden, it's, you can't ask for the tax records of the Biden family? He's president. You can ask him for Trump when he was president, but Biden's better. Come on. And the same thing about subpoenas. You're not going to criminalize a subpoena. We're not Steve Bannon. We're not Steve Bannon. And so they have this, this, we're not, you know, it's the back to Eric Holder. Eric Holder said, I'm not going to go test. I'm not going to turn over anything to you people. Fast and furious. So what? I'm not going to do it. And Obama protected him. And so they pick and choose how to enforce and it's a statute that's fluid. And Republicans have to press on, 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 on and make their case to the public. But they rely on the judiciary that's, I guess, especially in the eastern seaboard, is 75 percent liberal. And so they have a lot of resources. But we have to be, we have to get symmetry back. It's very important that, and the only way you can get symmetry back 
is deterrence. And the only way you get at deterrence is you make it clear to your opponent that it's a very dangerous thing to cross you and to break a protocol because you're going to use that. And whether we're talking about ballot harvesting or third party or ballot curing or non-election day voting, or we're talking about uh, kicking minor- members of the minority party off particular key assignments, then you've got to do that. And that's designed to tell these people you can't do what you're doing. I mean, they had, Jack, they had Jonathan Turley, of all people. I mean, he's a law professor. He's an old liberal Democrat. He's a good guy, and he's trying to be disinterested. And they bring him, brought him when he was up there and he was testifying to the overreach of the FBI and government agencies and their contracting of Twitter to circumvent the First Amendment. He thought, I guess he thought that these people as ACLU types would be applauding him. But they smeared him as a near Russian puppet. It was incredible. So and that was Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who has a checker record herself. And. So you've got to you've got to really stick it to them. As far as the FBI, very quickly, and then I'll stop. We thought Mueller was bad. We thought Comey was worse. We thought McCabe was even worse because Mueller had a record of massaging evidence. He, uh, he had ignored certain warnings when he was in charge of uh, at Boston. There were certain things he did on the Bolger matters, uh, when he ran the special investigation, um, he let Andrew Wasserman basically take it over. He lied in Congress. I think he lied. I think most people would say if he didn't know what the Steele dossier or Fusion GPS, he's either a liar or he's an idiot. Take your pick. He shouldn't have been the special counsel. And then we know no need to get into James Comey, you know, telling the president he's not the object of an investigation, which he knew he was, leaking deliberately, memorializing a private conversation with the president of the United States on an FBI device and on FBI time, uh, time and then leaking it to the, the media, to a third party. Andrew McCabe, Ipsy Dixit, he just lied four times, according to Michael Horowitz, to federal investigators. But Christopher Ray is worse. He's much worse because he is doing things they did not do. When he went after the parents of the school children that were forced to be indoctrinated on the prompt of Merrick Garland, I guess that they were domestic terrorists. Or uh, he went after, in the way he did, James O'Keefe, or he staged that SWAT raid performance art of Roger Stone, which was unnecessary, or he wanted to humiliate Peter Navarro, or he went after, sent his guys after that poor parent. Remember that, Jack? The guy that at an abortion clinic, somebody was berating his son, he was protesting, and he pushed the guy, he said, don't touch, get near my son, and then he swarmed his house. By the way, Victor, th- that guy's lawyer said, okay, we're going to come in, you know, peacefully. Uh but that was not they wanted the performance no, art. They, they did. And they and they went after they did not have to do what they did to Donald Trump. They approved that, that they could go into Joe Biden's garage without doing that. And believe me, Joe Biden's garage was a lot much more vulnerable to being broken in or tampered with than the many layered security parameters at Mordago. Today, 
if I, let's say a month ago, if I wanted to before all this conundrum, I probably, and it put it this way, I could have gone into Joe Biden's vice presidential garage much easier than I could into Mar-a-Lago. And so my point is that he is doing things that we haven't seen the FBI do any, we haven't seen them do before. And so when we, we learned that he was hiring Twitter as a contractor, a private contractor for three million bucks and then turning over a list of names. This journalist, this organization, we want them shadow banned. We want them canceled. We want them kicked off. And then he was serving, his agency was serving as a doorman. So he got the word out. If you're in the DOD, Pentagon, if you're in the CIA, you got you got your list. You got your guys. You want we want you to kick off social media. Just give them to us. We've got a deal with Twitter. We'll just go in and give them the name. So, you know, don't use the name CIA. That's against the law to, to interfere with the free expression of Americans or surveil them. We'll give you a phony name, other go- government organization if we have to. But uh, we will get Twitter to do it. If you have that crazy guy Roth at. I think that's his name at Twitter, who was about as left wing as you could get. And he's shocked and overwhelmed at the requests coming in from the FBI to ban, uh, censor, ostracize, etc. That's pretty bad. And that was the U.S. government doing that. And this was under Christopher Wray and the FBI. And so then it was very, when having these hearings and you tune into them, Gosh, it's just incredible to see these left-wing people start praising the FBI for surveilling Americans and violating their constitutional rights. They love it. They're just, and then they're the commentators, or Joe Scarborough or Claire McCaskill. It's just, you know, calling Donald uh, Jonathan Turley as she did, Claire McCaskill, the commentator. I guess she's on MSNBC or CNN. It, it's just incredible. And this is all Christopher Ray. This is the guy who looked at the Senate Grassley. I, I don't know. I think it was Ron Johnson or Grassley mm-hmm. who said, "You know what? I can't continue. I got an appointment. Sorry." Yeah, uh, appointment appointment with a, with a lake. Yeah, I can get to my front. vacation home. I need to get my private Gulf Stream that is under the FBI, and it's they're going to fly me. So bye, see you. Wouldn't want to be you. That's his attitude. I think his attitude is after me, the deluge. His his attitude is, if I survive Trump, and I will because I'm leaking to the media like they all do, and they all love me now, and I can get into the Biden administration, I got four years if I just do what they want, and I can be a private retrieval service. Lose a laptop, I'll sit on it, not let one person know that it's authentic, And I will allow my former colleagues and the FBI and their friends in the CIA, and they'll sign a letter that Joe can use during the debate saying Russian disinformation, even though I know that's false. And even though I won't let anybody look at this thing, that's what I'll do. And that will affect an election. That's what he did. Ashley Biden's diaries missing. Another Biden lost item. We'll go get it. Hunter's gun missing. That was an earlier FBI and Secret Service. Laptop, diary, you name it. He'll go find it. Classified documents, 
hey, Joe, it's November 2nd. You lost some documents. They're classified. No problem. Let's just sit on it until the midterms are over. And then your lawyers can talk to my lawyers, and we're not going to do any Mar-a-Lago raid, be assured. That's what he's doing. And he is destroying the reputation of the FBI, and he's destroyed it, along with Comey and McCabe and Mueller. So when you say FBI to 70% of the country, they don't have a positive reaction. Right. And, And they're having trouble getting FBI agents. And they've had to lower the standards, just like they do in the military. And people are afraid of the FBI. And there's good reason. Because if you go to an abortion clinic and peacefully protest and somebody goes after your son and you say, keep away from my son, they're going to swarm your house. And you know that if you go to a pro-choice demonstration and they are surrounding a church or something and they're going to give them a free hand, they're not going to do a thing. The FBI is not going to do anything. And everybody knows that, that it's not symmetrical. So that's just the way it is. Uh, excuse me, Victor. You've seen the French movie Z about the yes. Greek. Uh, Greek. And I was thinking that, you know, just the other day I watched it for the first time. Like, look at all these law enforcement officials standing aside while while uh, democracy or, or, you know, politics. That was, takes- yeah, I lived in Greece in 73, um, you know, during the dictatorship. And that was... I think that movie was, what was it done in 69? It was right after the coup of 67 right. um, uh, in Greece where the colonels, they were not generals, they were Papadopoulos, the colonels, and they had taken over from the parliamentary government with the aid of the United States, unfortunately, CIA was yeah. involved in that. Not to a great extent, but they green-lighted it because they wanted Greece to stay in NATO and they were afraid that the socialist government would be pro-Soviet, yeah. etc. Well, equal justice of the law doesn't always apply. Hey, Victor, uh, I'd like to get one more thing about Andy and then back to the FBI, as I mentioned before, with the, uh, the Latin mass. But so Andy ended his piece. Um, let me if I let me just back up one other thing. Uh, if the the leadership, Garland and others, just continue to thumb their nose. What what can be done? There's no prosecutions of a of a failure to you know appear as subpoenaed. Uh, there is one recourse, and that is the budget. And here's how Andy ended his piece just a decade ago at the height of its Obama era activism. The Justice Department managed to get by on a budget of about twenty seven billion, i.e. 11 billion less than what Biden and congressional Democrats just poured into its coffers. Meantime, the government is 31 trillion in debt. Anti-woke dissent is the Justice Department's preoccupation while actual violent crime surges in our cities and the FBI is spending its lavish resources suppressing political speech on social media and interfering in presidential elections. Do you think the Justice Department is worth 38 billion yeah, Victor, I think that's the uh, recourse if if the party has the guts to to do it is to um, cut off the significant amount of funding. Yeah, that's the only thing they can do, and they should um, they should cut off all funding for the new FBI building. It, that that should not go through. They got some huge plot out. I think it's in Virginia, Alexandria, somewhere out there, and they're going to build this monstrosity, and it's just going to 
further focus and centralize and aggregate FBI power in Washington. Exactly what the problem is. They should be building maybe $10 million local satellite headquarters all over the United States and break it up. But uh, that's the only thing they can do is to, to, to cut back on the funding. I don't know what happened to Merrick Garland. He, he's tried to sell himself as some kind of moderate when he was not given what he considers a chance to show that he was disinterested. But I, I always thought he was what he is now. And I think he's very bitter and he's on a crusade and yeah. he, hate, he hates people for denying him a Supreme Court birth. So he's going to try to make life miserable for anybody who's conservative as the DOJ. The only thing he hasn't done is he hasn't done what Eric Holder said and be overt about it by saying, I'm Obama's wingman. He hasn't quite said that. But if you look at the way that that DOJ has been conducted, it's just not that right. It goes way back to the whole Trump administration. We had that Sally Yates was in there on a holdover and they went after Michael Flynn on that ossified uh, Logan Act. Then you had Rod Rosenstein threatening the Nunes staffers that if you don't if you don't stop asking me for documents, I'm going to surveil you guys, and I'm going to wear a wire with Andrew McCabe, and it, it's, it's and then we had Bruce Orr. Remember, he was at the DOJ. Mm-hmm. It's just out of control. It's out of yeah. control. Where these professional uh, Ivy League law grads, the kind of people that went into the Mueller super team or super bowl of lawyers or dream team or the hunter killer team. They were all bragging about them. So they, the DOJ is, I don't know, it's scary. All these things are very scary. And I think people don't want to admit that. And I don't want to admit it because I was a big supporter of the law and the FBI and the CIA and the DOD, DOD even the IRS. And they've been taken over by these left-wing zealots, and they feel right. that they're an arm of the revolution, and yeah, they're going to go after people. And they keep right. pushing, 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 and they can go after you, and it's scary. There's nowhere. There's nowhere to hide, or you know, silence is uh, is uh, what is silence? What, what's that slogan again? Sli- silence Golden? is defiance, or some? No, no, silence is defiance. Oh, something yes. like that. That's, I mean, you yeah. can't not genuflect. Speaking of genuflecting, though, and and I look, I, we we kid around about Catholic stuff in the past, um, and but this is serious. And even if you're not Catholic or don't care about Catholicism, or even if you hate Catholicism, this is still not unimportant. There is a there are Catholics who who still uh, desire to worship through the Latin Mass. The Latin Mass was how for centuries how. Yes. Catholics around the world, you know, worshiped. And then when the Second Vatican Council happened in the 1960s, the vernacular was permitted. And it didn't, it wasn't supposed to kill the Latin Mass, but essentially did. Now, a lot of people left the church over that, but a lot still think that the that Mass is something sacred about it. But, uh, and and so it's very important to them, as it is, well, it, it should be. I, mean, I don't go to Latin Mass, but I, I you know, I'm, I'm very uh, I admire my friends that that do. And I do have a lot of friends that do. So here's what the FBI has done. Uh, It's Richmond Bureau 
has put out put out an eight page uh, memo uh, in this January, and this is you know is everything wrong with the FBI just in the headquarters in Washington? No, the the this is the title of its uh, of this memo: interest of racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists in radical traditionalist Catholic ideology almost certainly presents new mitigation opportunities. So think of that. If you happen to be a Catholic that still worships through Latin mass, you are a target for the FBI because you must be a racist. You know, you must, you know, you you fit, you check all the all the presumed boxes of being a white supremacist, etc. Now, this has been um, once this was outed, the FBI was embarrassed and uh, some some. BS line about this doesn't uh, uh, it's not the exacting standards that we expect, et cetera, et cetera. But somebody felt empowered enough within the FBI uh, leadership, at least in one bureau in Richmond. Well, you see, go ahead you, and right, you can, do this. Yeah. When you hear these stories like the Stanford University euphemism list that you can't say American or citizen, you ask yourself, well, how is this possible? And I can tell you how it's possible. So they create a culture top down that rewards wokeism. So you get a bunch of FBI bureaucrat, mid-level administrators and think, hmm, I really want to get promoted. So what white right-wing group can I, you know, defame and get, I'll write a memo that we should go after these people. And then I'll put on my resume, Special Agent Smith was the one who organized the surveillance of this dangerous racist homophobic that's what they're doing same thing at stanford well we've got everything we want can i how am i going to get known what can i oh maybe i can go after words that'll be new and so it, it the climate is the fish rots from the head and that's what ray is doing he's creating a climate where Certain FBI agents will be punished and certain will be rewarded. Same thing with DOD. This is very important. Same thing with everything. I mean, we've had, just to get off topic a minute, we've had two, what, major, major aircraft near misses. And we had one today again. I think we had a hit today in L.A. where a um, cargo plane hit another one on the tarmac. And that all of those are reflective of poor air traffic controller and poor pilot error, or mostly air traffic controller, I think. But the point is you've lowered standards for all of these uh, occupations that are essential to the country. And people then take advantage that, ah, I got an idea. I will be promoted if in my section of the FAA, I had the best diversity statistics of anybody. Or if I'm a colonel in the army, it's not my, you know, my artillery brigade or if a one star maybe it's you know a division commander says we didn't have the best uh artillery uh, accuracy record but we have more women and transgendered and gay right. and blacks and latinos than any other group so i want to be promoted and he will it's like it's very similar to the commissariat what's ironic about it is if you go back in literature, as it pertains to the military, uh, people would say the reason that we're going to defeat the Nazis and the reason that we're different than the Soviets is they have commissariats. This, the, 
the Nazi ideology is essential if you want to get promoted. And they're passing over a lot of the most talented of the old Russian Prussian military class officer corps that weren't sufficient. They were mostly Catholics, many of them. And they weren't, some of them, the, the Prussians were more um, Protestant, but they passed them over in the same thing until 42, 43 in the Soviet Union. That's what we're doing in our military. And that's what we're doing in all of these investigatory agencies. We're using criteria that's not meritocratic and it's right. ideological. In our case, it's race and gender. And there's going to be a price to pay. You're going to get, I don't want to predict it because somebody will say, oh, you were happy, but we're going to have a major airline collision. Because I've been flying, you know, I started to fly again and I see things at the airports that are pretty incredible. I see people go right up to the desk and insult and scream their lungs out at the counters much more frequently than before. There doesn't seem to be any enforcement. You know, you, you'll be on a plane and they'll say, this is a Canadian region or 200. There will be no roller. They will not fit. Roller bags will not fit. Do not bring them on. And right. people will just say, screw anyway. that. I'm bringing right. them on. And yeah. then they'll hold up the flight way. And then when you go out and look, you'll see people that don't know what they're doing when they're flagging planes to leave. And you look at some of the pilots, you think, wow, they're 18 years old or something. So I, I think... When you're doing this, you should be expecting that most of the world works that way on the basis of tribalism. We were the exception, not the rule. And that's why we had such a high standard of living. But this ideological crusade that has ruined the right. FBI, it's ruined the DOD, it's right. ruined the DOJ, it's ruined the CIA, it's ruined the NSA, and it's ruining the FAA. It's right. ruining everything. The I, the Victor, the ideologues who run these agencies, et cetera, that, well, that's what they want to hear back is ideology. And, and you know, Solzhenitsyn wrote about this in the Gulag Archipelago. And there's one little anecdote about some some guys who thought, well, they were in the Soviet Academy of Chess, something like that. Like, at least we can be safe here, you know, because how could, how could ideology, how could Marxism come to chess? Guess what? It came to chess. It comes for everything. I think our listeners know that, but uh, yeah, it, you know, it besides you know Latin mass, using that as an example, but there's no hiding from the ideologues. They will find no, whatever. It's very important to see life. what DeSantis is doing because he's ignoring the criticism and his his, as I understand it, as I observe it from a distance, his attitude is. These people are ideologues and they're indoctrinating people and they're hiding under the veneer of free speech. Don't dare tell me that I can't teach that America's racist and my students should feel guilty and white supremacy. That's just free speech. You can't. So he's gone in and barred some of that. And that's very important what he's doing. There's a group. Uh, it's called the American Freedom Alliance. I think there's 700 professors I signed on. And one of the f original members is Josh Rao from the Hoover Institution. He's an economist and business professor. And I don't know if you saw that Wall Street Journal article he penned about this. But his point was that that Freedom Alliance, quote unquote, nonpartisan, disinterested, bipartisan, whatever term, they condemn DeSantis. We're right. for free speech and it's pure form. No, you're not. If you see if, if under that, you're allowing these people to 
go off topic and indoctrinate people. That's not free speech. Right. Well, how do you know who you're, somebody's free speech is another sense? No, you have to know it when you see it. And so he wrote a good article about that. Yeah, saying, what do you they know, think these DEI uh, you know, bureaucracies are about? It's about suppressing speech. Well, if you've got 16,000 administrators, uh, excuse me, 15,000 administrative personnel, I should say, at Stanford, and you got got 16,000 students, one for one, You've got to have something to do. And if you don't have anything right. to do, you got to invent it. And if you're going to invent it, you got to go after things like vocabulary or you've got to go after, you know, somebody who objects to woke indoctrination and smear them as anti-free speech, etc. Whoopi Goldberg on The View saying they want to erase black history. Does she really believe that black history didn't exist? I mean, I was a freshman at uh, UC Santa Cruz, Jack, in 1971, and J. Herman Blake, somebody listening will know that name, he was an African-American professor, and he would get up and it was, you know, he would just go into it. And it was pretty tough about racist America and white supremacy and you people in the audience. And that was 50, what, almost 50 years ago. And so Whoopi Goldberg says, oh, he's going to eliminate. We don't we don't have any black. No, he's talking about indoctrination, which is all of these hyphenated studies courses. They're all indoctrination. And, you know, I, I was once on the uh, general education committee at a state college and it was for critical thinking. And we were going to. Can you believe that, that liberals and left-wing people actually pass things that students were not thinking critically? And so they each course in the general education had to be redefined or they would be dropped if they didn't have a critical thinking component and explain it. And so the women's studies head came in and she showed the syllabus. And I just said, you say that the purpose of your class is to convince people that America is now a sexist country and always will be. That's not critical thinking. You can come to that conclusion, but you're deductive. You're starting with a premise and then you're making examples fit. You've got to bring in fair number of examples and then find out what the inductive conclusion is. And she said, I can't believe you're doing that. But my point is this. A group of very, I was the only conservative on the committee and they voted to deny that class until she rewrote it. Think of that, how things have fallen. There used to be people in the United States that were liberal, that believed in free speech and inductive right. empirical thinking. And now there's not, or they're afraid they're, they're hiding somewhere. But one thing, you know, that I think it's not off topic, but have you noticed that they're starting to cannibalize their own people and people? I, I can't believe that Andrew Sullivan, who used to write Ecomia to Obama, remember how he just said he was brainwashed on the Iraq war and the neocons and how wonderful Obama was. He got, I think he was on a visa and he got busted for marijuana and the Obama people took care of that for him. And he was just, he's writing now about how dangerous this woke stuff is. And then, Bill Maher used to be, ah, that guy was just obsessed with Trump. Now he is worried that it's racist. And Dave Chappelle used to be pretty left wing, and now he's been hounded out. And J.K. Rowling was really left wing, the Harry Potter author. 
And, you know, everybody loves Barry Weiss, but I used to read her columns. They were pretty left wing. Yeah. And Richard Richard Dreyfus. I don't know if you've seen him come out yes. of the woodwork. Uh, Glenn Greenwald is conservative now. I know. And, and so that hasn't happened on the political level. We don't have one single major Democratic politician says, I'm not woke. I'm sorry. But you can start to see that whether this is matters of conscious, conscious you know, that they're, they're, they're saying to themselves, I can't, I can't adhere to this anymore. It's anti-American. It's anti-empirical. It's yeah. anti-civilizational. Or, man, they're going to eat me pretty soon. I either fight back or I'm going to be cannibalized, swallowed by these people. I don't know whether it's self-interest or what, but you're starting to see a lot of people push back. Yeah. And you, you have to because we're in a revolutionary state. right? We now. are indeed. We are. They don't kid around. They want to destroy people. And you know, hey, Victor, you, yeah, there's a, there's a, uh, speaking of destroying someone, and there, there's some stuff going on in, in Virginia, also in Richmond, but in the state capital, and it has to do with uh, education and uh, um, the left Democrats going after a woman of color. And I think we should talk about uh, that. It has to do with education, and maybe we talk about some, some of the, um, stuff Chris Rufo is doing in Florida. And let's do that um, in a minute. But first, I'm going to let our listeners know about uh, a new product. Well, not a new product, but a product we are uh, advertising here on the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Is it possible to extend lifespan and feel younger at the same time, according to a Harvard scientist and Nobel Prize winning breakthrough? Yeah, absolutely. How? By lengthening your telomeres, your telomeres protect your DNA and play a critical role in the aging process. But many of us struggle with shortening telomeres. Victor, I think mine are probably as tall as Anthony Fauci. I, I agree. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thanks to thanks to stress, unhealthy food, too many M and M's, too much sambuca, obesity, and more. That's why. I recommend Youth Switch. Youth, youth Switch, excuse me, folks. Youth Switch is all natural, doctor approved, and manufactured right here in America. Youth Switch contains a potent blend of adaptogens that promote healthier telomeres and longer lifespans. It boosts energy and can support regeneration of healthy organ systems. You can try Youth Switch for yourself, risk free today, and and receive a free bottle of. Ageless brain as a bonus. I got. I have ageless brain, and I, 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 I by the handful. Uh, a great. It's a great product, and it helps you improve focus, uh, memory, and mood. You'll also receive four bonus eBooks to boost every aspect of your health and longevity. So, how do you get all this? Well, you go to youthswitchmd.com/slash/justnews to claim your supply of Youth Switch and all five bonus gifts. That's youthswitchmd.com slash just news. I'll spell just news for you. J-U-S-T-N-E-W-S to order your Youth Switch today. And thank you to Youth Switch for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your 
risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, mentioning again, um, Things Virginia. Richmond. Here's a story from the Daily Signal, and I hope our listeners will indulge for just a second. They may not know about the story. It's headlined, uh, Democrats should be ashamed. Youngkin condemns removal of parent from Virginia Board of Education. Virginia Democrats, and they control the Senate. The, the, the Republicans control the House in Virginia, but Democrats control the Senate. Virginia uh, Democrats who voted to remove concerned parent Suparna Dutta from the state's Board of Education on Tuesday this week should be ashamed, according to Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin's office, quote, in an appalling show of partisanship, the Democrats said the quiet part out loud. Parents aren't qualified to advise on education in Virginia. Youngkin spokesman Macaulay Porter told the Daily Signal, Suparna Dutta immigrated from India, exemplifies the American dream, and is a Fairfax County public school parent who has continually advocated for parents and students to have a voice in their education. Long story short here, but Victor, the other day, uh, she the Democrats voted her off the, the Board of Ed, because they found uh, she complained, you know, about too much teaching of socialism in schools. Um, and they just said she does not have the qualifications, like essentially that she's a layman or a laywoman. And uh, such people should not be on state board boards of ed. Victor, um, and she reminds me a little of, uh, you know, George. Um, oh, and now I can't remember George, uh, the, 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 um, the guy down in Florida who killed who had that fight with the with the black kid? Oh, who Obama yeah. said, he, "I know his name began with Zim, a Z." Zimmerman. Like, Zimmerman, yeah. Who was called a right? Was he called a white Hispanic? White right? Hispanic, and he was right? half Peruvian. If he had just done what he was supposed to do and Latinized his name to Jorge Mesa, his mother's maiden name, then Jorge Mesa would not have been a white Hispanic that pre preyed on Trayvon Martin. He would be a Hispanic that Latino who was fighting for his life 
in a yeah. mixed race fight. Right. But once he wanted to assimilate, integrate, and become an American and just use his father's last name, as most people do, and Americanize Jorge into George, he was done for. Well, see, this woman, um, Miss uh, Mrs. Duda, uh, you know, she's 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 a dark. She's a woman of color. She's from. She isn't this. The, the time where we have a vice president who is a uh, member the, uh, the left. The now, left. isn't she the same? <laughs> Doesn't that give her any status, any cachet? I guess not. The left and especially the white bicoastal white upper class, upper, upper, upper class. They have a particular dislike of what they call people of color that don't appreciate their white liberal efforts on their behalf. So you remember that. This poor school board member was supposed to think, oh, my gosh, thank you so much that I am a person of color, Miss Duda, and I'm, and I'm so emboldened, so I won't dare question any of this ideology because you're doing it for me. And without you, I wouldn't make it. And that's the trap that affirmative action identity politics goes. So if you're Thomas Sowell and you're smarter than 99% of people on the planet, then you are, and you're conservative, they're going to go after you. Shelby Steele, they're going to go after you. And they do it also because they send a message, kind of like the commissars in Russia. Do you want to be on the winning team and have a pretty good life, or do you want to get kicked off the school board? Which is it? And so most people being cowardly will always think that they're on the winning side. So it's very, again, this is a reminder, we have to be on the winning side. And that means you have to have the majority of public opinion. You have to fight right. for recontrol and to recapture these institutions. But uh, it's it's uh, we're, we were talking sort of about, you know, people who have converted. Did you see this story this week where this congresswoman, Craig, she's Asian-American and she's gay and she's a congresswoman. I think from Minnesota, I'm not sure, but she was in her apartment and right. she was attacked by this African-American. Uh, I guess he was kind of a thug and she threw hot coffee in his face and survived and got away. And then very shortly, oh, she was one of what, less than 30 Democrats to vote with the House Republicans to not accept the Washington, D.C. effort to decriminalize uh, violent crime criminals, you know, does not charge them with the crimes that they should be charged with. And so, and it was very funny, though, because she was criticized. And uh, we live in this alternate universe where a, a lot of, uh, I think a lot of the Asian community should should realize that there's a lot of upper, upper, upper class left-wing content condescension and patronizing. And there's a lot of anger coming from Latinos and blacks at Asians that they're the quote unquote good minority that are used by the white supposed uh, conservative group to say, see, anybody can make it in America. And the result of all that is that if you're in that group, being a liberal doesn't make any sense at all. And I can you, you saw this example of somebody from 
that was an immigrant quite dark and wants to restore school standards and empirical education, and they think she's an enemy of the people. Right. Or Congress, uh, we keep hearing every time an Asian American is attacked by a person of color, and if you can believe FBI crime statistics, I know at least in 2019 we had full that they are, along with Jews, the most likely to suffer an interracial crime dubbed a hate crime, and they are uh, African-Americans are the most disproportionate group that commit them. And yet, you can't say anything about that. And and then when you looked at the uh, scandal, I think that was in Virginia, but also in Maryland, where the schools were systematically not apprising national merit scholars that Actually, they had won. Yeah, this woman, I'm pretty sure from Fairfax County, uh, is that's the epicenter of yes. this of this in Virginia. That and it did, it, yeah, it was happening in Maryland also. But the denial of the, uh, I think over a thousand students, yeah, were, and were, so they were, ruined their. Basically, they studied very hard, they worked very hard, they got a national merit scholarship, which is a guarantee of a scholarship at a major university, and the schools didn't apprise them of that. The the, the national merit. Testing people did, but that I don't know why they don't contact the student directly, but they don't. And they contact the school and then they interrupted that chain of communication because they felt that it was somehow not fair or would reward hard work and achievement. And from what we can tell, that was aimed a lot at Asian Americans. And so, it was absolutely aimed, aimed yes, at them. So there's, there is a war on the part of the left. Uh, on Asian Americans because they feel that they uh, upset the identity politics affirmative action right. narrative that they, even though they are not white, and even though they have experienced a lot of discrimination, they overcome it. And if they can yeah. overcome it, then anybody else can. And I think right. we're going to get to the point very quickly where Latinos are going to be targeted as not sufficiently uh, was it Maria Flores that the Washington Post just went after? Uh, that, you know, that Maya, what was her name? She's a congresswoman from Miami. And uh, she she was oh, just, yeah. you know, that, yeah, she was she was uh, targeted by the Washington Post. And I, I read this uh, um, bio piece on it, you know, Myra, I think her name is. And it was it was incredible because she's conservative. She was one of the people, wasn't she, that opposed Kevin McCarthy at the beginning? And they yeah. said, you know, she didn't she she doesn't she didn't speak English with an accent, and she didn't identify with the Latina when she was in the military. She didn't join the Latina group, and so therefore, now that she's a Latina, she's oh my God, it was desperate. But I think they're going to start doing that as well. And, and, and I say they. Who are, who are they? They are the upper white, bicoastal, cognitive elite. They really are. And and we've discussed that before, why they do this, to try to divide people by race, but they do. And I think Indian Americans should be wised up that they're in their crosshairs. Yeah. And, Victor, I just want to be clear about that, that, that um, when we say a Asians, so and at least as applies to the, some of these education scandals, I do think if how I would think of when you say Asian, I think 
Okay, this is okay. Now, uh, what term are you going to use? Be careful. Let's well, no, about. I'm just thinking China, Japan, yeah. Korea, so, what term do you and use? And now, would also well, uh, why why do we use Asians for people that are wholly of different civilization appearances? Yeah, well, I mean, what does someone from Korea in, and India have to nothing. have to do with each other? But right? why do we do that? Because we were told that Oriental right. and Occidental were racist. In fact, right. they're both. They're both Latin terms, and they follow through with the Greek idea that if you're in the Greek peninsula or Italy and you look up and you see the sun rising, that's Oriens, the word to rise. And when you see it set in the West, it's called Okidas, the falling. And so people to the West of Greece were called Occidentals, the people who live in the falling sun places, and people to the east, the Persians, were called the Orients people, the Orientals. And then I guess that is was the, that that non-racist terminology was deemed racist because of British imperialism or something. So you cannot use the word Oriental anymore. Right. I don't know if you can say Occidental or not. There is an Occidental College in Los Angeles. I don't know what they mean by that. Western, yeah. I guess. But, uh, yeah, that's the problem. But uh, to be fair, a lot of Indian people from India wanted that rubric because they felt that that was, a, that was entree into the 30% of the diverse community. And it was very successful because that old binary of black-white that was expanded to Latinos, that was expanded to, I could say, Oriental people, if I can, that has now been expanded to almost anybody who's not white as a victim. Right. And and so I can tell you at universities, when I started at a state university, if you were from India, you didn't get anything. And when I left, you did. That was called diversity. And people would say, you know what? I have a program. I have a department. And there's 10 people. And guess what? Only five are white. Just five. And it didn't matter what the others were. They were in some new collective that Obama had created. Right. I had mentioned, and we're, we don't have much time. We have time. We have time for one more subject. But I, I mentioned maybe we'd talk about Chris Rufo and New College. But I think we should do that on another show because it's a very worthwhile uh, subject uh, of immigration and the cost of it. And I, th- I think we, we should get to that right after this uh, final important message. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 
Back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'd like to recommend to our listeners to visit victorhanson.com. That's Victor's official website. And do subscribe because when you subscribe, you will be able to read uh, the ultra articles that Victor writes exclusively for his website. There are a lot of them. They uh, Over the course of, of a year, I've always estimated they would fill two books you can't read them unless you subscribe. Yeah, you can read Victor at American Greatness and a syndicated column. Yep. But these you can't read. Uh, right now up on, on the site, there's a balloonology and there's a, 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 a an ultra piece uh, on Jill, Bi- Jill Biden called our Edith Wilson. Great pieces like everything Victor writes. So that's victorhanson.com. Five bucks gets you in the door, $50 for the year to uh, subscribe. And also, I mentioned on the commercial, you know, it said slash just news. Well, that's kind of short for just the news. That's the website, John Solomon's website, which is the official home of this podcast. So you may want to visit that every once in a while, uh, justthenews.com. So, Victor, in today's um, New York Post, my friend, I'm sure, I guess he's, is he your friend too? You know Mark Krikorian. Yes, I know him very well. I've known him a long time. Yeah, I love Mark. He's a great guy. I do too. I was doing. He's doing wonderful work at the Center for Immigration Studies. Right. All right. We've had him on when I was running National Review Cruises. He went on a bunch of them. He brought his kids. Lovely, lovely family. Mark has a piece today about the um, the cost of Biden's border madness. It's uh, two hundred billion dollars. And um, let me just read this. Quick, it bounces. The reason it's in the post is it bounces off uh, Mayor Eric Adams complaining like, "Oh, this illegal immigration is going to cost us two billion When the uh, quickly updated to four billion, it's crazy uh, how much. But uh, that's just on the New York City level. But on a national level, um, Mark writes that here's what he wrote: adjusted for inflation, the lifetime cost to taxpayers of each illegal immigrant is over $80,000. Under Biden's orders, Homeland Security has released into the United States nearly 2 million illegal border crossers so far, meaning their lifetime cost to taxpayers will be close to $150 billion. Add in another 1 million gotaways, and uh, that brings the lifetime cost for taxpayers soars past 200 billion. I know, Victor, you think it's, it's, oh, I guess much, more than it's much larger because that's the concrete identifiable, but it's not the damage of to the environment down along the border. It's not the inconvenience. And I'll give, just give you, I just got back maybe four hours ago from a food market. I won't give the name of the town. I won't give the name of the food market. But I just wanted two bags of dog food. That's all I wanted, Jack. I just wanted to go in day before the Super Bowl. And there was a huge crowd. And I was in a line. And, of course, those SNAP cards and EBT cards. And you can buy junk food. So the woman ahead of me had, I guess it was the day before the Super Bowl, 48 cans of Mountain Dew and Coke. I'm not not diet. Not diet. Just regular. And then food, chips. Etc. Junk food. Uh, yeah. All junk food. And she pulled out her first EBT card. 
electric banking transfer card. And the old day you had stamps, remember? And we thought that was too cruel and that was self-incriminating and that was mean. So now it just looked like a visa card. And she pulled it out. And I think they have about 950 bucks a month per family. And it didn't work. And of course, the line is getting bigger and bigger. And she pulls out the next one. And it didn't work. And she pulls out the third and part of it. And then she gets an argument and people go to the, I went to the next line and I was there and the person ahead of me did not speak English and was trying to cash a check and had no ID. And this went on. And then the next person had the EBT card and they had, I think it was a snap card for, or a WIC card, a green one, women, infants, children. And she was trying to put Coke and the stuff that was on her EBT card who has run out. So she was trying to put on the WIC card and that was held up. And then, you know, and I, and this was coming after I had the day before gone to the local drugstore. I won't mention the name. I won't mention the town. And I was in the line of cars and I waited about 40 minutes. And the person ahead of me, I thought something was wrong because it didn't move. So I got out of the car just to walk up to see if I could help. You know, I thought her car was dead. She didn't speak a word of English. And the Spanish she was speaking was very hard for the person who was speaking Spanish to understand, which means it was a partly indigenous dialect. Right. And then I came home and I decided to take the dogs for the walk around the ranch. And I spied a new trove of trash i.e. the car seat, the wet garbage, the throne. And then I, you know, I walk, I just, it's not on my property, it's on the neighbors now. And then I'm just thinking, this is just in one day. Right. Just in one day. And when I'm at the airport with all these different languages, you know, I, before when you want to hear an announcement or when I want to get something fixed and I call and I get a pre-recorded sound, or I went to a specialist not too long ago in Fresno, and there was nowhere to sit down, and which had been very easy to, to access four years ago. And no one except me spoke English there. Everybody spoke Spanish. So what I'm getting at is when you take five million illegal entries and they swarm the, and they have not been to a Western doctor or a dentist, or have a means of support, and they're coming from a very different culture, and they don't know English, and they're not legal. And it's not a diverse group, and it's not meritocratic, and you just dump them in these communities, and they keep coming, then that costs things. And what do I mean by cost? That means that if you want to go to the store and buy a bag of dog food, it can take 30 or 40 minutes. Or if I want to go to a Home Depot, I have to kind of say, no, 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 no. I don't want to buy your strawberries. I do not want to buy your uh, milkshake that you're selling that you made right there on the spot. Or if I drive near my home, I would say there's 5,000 people every Sunday morning at a mart, a swap meet. It's huge and nobody's collecting sales tax. And if I can buy anything, if I get up in the car right now and I want to shovel, I mm-hmm. want a pair of pants. I want a bicycle. All I have to do is go to the proper rural crossroad and I can go pay cash and there's no sales tax. 
And so when you put all of that cost of the inconvenience and the slowing down of the system and the overtaxing of social services, which, by the way, hurt poor people more than they do me, and the robbing the government of revenue by at the same time adding to the cost of government, then you can see what why California has a 13% tax rate right. and it's $25 billion in the red. Yeah. And there's not enough people that are following the rules and, and are trying to make things expedite. On the garbage and, side, Victor, you wrote about that. I, I know did. this is a, like a slice, but as one point you made, and I think anyone might understand this, if you're not vigilant about that on a daily basis, if you don't get rid of that car seat and other crap you came across the other day, within two days, there'll be a mountain of crap there. There's yeah, two different right. theories about it. Yeah. So my renter, I won't mention his name, he's a wonderful guy. His theory is you let one car seat there, the word gets out, hey, over there you can drop your, and then it turns into Mount Trashmore very quickly. Or around the corner, and I took a picture of it, is that farmer's idea is he's on a corner. I'm just going to let the sofas and the refrigerators and the washer and the air conditioners and the um, paint cans and the old oil drums. I'm just going to let it get up and it's going to get so gross and so disgusting that everybody in the community is going to say, we can't tolerate this. And that's his theory. And so he doesn't have to do anything. But when you drive by his farm, it looks like a open cesspool. And I think he's got the right idea, but he doesn't understand that people don't care. There is nobody in the community that said, oh, my God, our community is right. turning into a slum. I have to stop it. And there's nobody in government that says, you know, this is unhealthy. To have wet garbage and retainers that uh, containers that retain water and stuff with mosquito yeah. season coming up on us. So it's there's it's just a problem. And the idea the left is going to come in and say, you know what, we're the party of ecology and we believe in pristine exactly. areas. And right. we don't like this particular constituency who comes here illegally throwing trash and doing these things. No, they don't care. They don't. If you did. <laughs> I'll tell you, a, this is a very funny anecdote. I was driving into Stanford University three or four years ago, and I got behind an immigrant, let's say. And he was obviously very hardworking because he had shovels and things in the back of his pickup, but it was smoking. I mean, I almost died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Can you imagine in Palo Alto of all places? So I... I mean, it was just like a smoke screen, and I could not believe it. And I mentioned this to someone when I got there. I said, this is kind of funny. It looks like my hometown. But the cars are, are – and the person said they had called and reported, but they had already been preempted by a lot of people. In other words, if you do that one moment in Palo Alto, they mm -hmm. will pull you over, and they will get so angry. But yet their policies on the border bring in – Millions of impoverished people that have no alternatives but to, you know, drive crappy cars that nobody wants. Right. And so you import poverty, but then you outlaw poverty's expression in your own neighborhood. Yeah. And you hope that they go down to Fresno or Visalia or Bakersfield or Sanger or Reedley. And, and that's 
your problem. And you can't, what we discuss is, is taboo. And so there's so many things that you can't discuss in like, obviously no one ethnic group has a monopoly on obesity, but we have a crisis in California because first of all, if you look at UN statistics, the most obese country per capita in the world is Mexico. They have the greatest crisis of overweight people. So what we're seeing is when people come from traditional cultures that have that problem anyway, and they have a westernized diet of junk food or fast food. So we have in the Hispanic community, one out of four people, or maybe it's one out of three that's admitted to the hospital for any reason whatsoever is found upon admittance to be diabetic. Diabetic. Wow. And and it was part of the Latino La Raza advertisement of the 70s, 80s. Oh, we're the young, we have the youngest per capita age group. We're the demography that's going to take care of these old, frail, fading, calcified white people, right? And the white people are not having children and they're aging, they're dying off. Yes, that's probably true. uh, If you look at the statistics on fertility, but it's not going to be that the young Hispanic community coming up from Mexico is going to be the people who provide care, they're going to need care in their 30s and 40s and 50s because they have an epidemic of diabetes and obesity more greater per capita than other constituencies, white, whites or Asians. It's, it's predicated on economic levels, obviously, as well. But my point is this, is that when you go into the supermarket like I did today and you see people who are morbidly obese, right? And they have 48 cans of, what, 140-calorie Coke and Mountain Dew that's not diet, and they're paying for that. And I didn't think they could do that, but I think you can pay. Snap, you, snap oh, my gosh. You've been able to do that for years. Yeah. yeah. So and, where was Michael Bloomberg when you – because you could do it. <laughs> where yeah, was he then do talking you're, about – You're subsidizing uh, that type of corn syrup, right? right? It's corn right. syrup, and it's one of the worst things in the world for your health. And yet, if you were to say that there's an epidemic of, you can say there's an epidemic of diabetes, that's fine. Right. But you can't say there's an epidemic of obesity that's inordinate to the Hispanic community, the first or second generation. Right. Uh, And these things matter, Victor, they matter during COVID, right? And that's very expensive. And and so, but see what I'm trying to get at, I want to be very careful here. Yeah. Because I live in a Hispanic community and I have members of my family that are Hispanic, et cetera, et cetera. But right. what I'm saying is that when you censor empiricism and you can't talk about it, then bad things happen. So mm-hmm. you can't say that there is a problem in the Hispanic. So then when COVID comes in, it just devastated our community and it targeted Hispanic men that were obese and right. in ages of 40 to 55 and even younger. And so you can't discuss that. But then what what does the state do? The state says that California failed the Hispanic community because their incidence of fatal COVID uh, deaths was greater than their 43% demographic in the general population. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was, at least in particular counties. And therefore, it's racist. But no, there were contributing factors. Uh, like diet and exercise that people can't talk to. And it's tragic. I, I was at another doctor. I won't mention the type of doctor or the town because people be very quickly. And a young Hispanic 
girl from Mexico was very nice and very competent. And she was telling me that she had come from Mexico at eight and she was doing well and she was at, she was at college and she was illegal. She was telling me that. And she was kind of kidding me about Trump and everything. Very nice and very competent, but she was very heavy. And she took my blood pressure and it was 124 over 60 something. It was kind of low and my heart rate was kind of always too low. It's 52. She, oh my God, your blood pressure is too low. Mm. I said, no, 124 is not too low. Believe me, it's 60 borderline, maybe it's 110 over 70. And she goes, well, I'm really working on mine and I'm, I've got it really downright, just perfect almost. I said, what was your blood pressure? Well, it was nine, 190 over 100. And now it's only 150 over 95, 150 over 95. I said, that's very high. And she goes, well, I don't think it is compared to what it was. And my point is that no youth that age should have corrected blood pressure that high in a doctor's office. And everybody, there, there's an epidemic there of it. And it's going to be very important to the country that mm -hmm. people address that and be very honest and say the Hispanic community is being sold a bill of goods on advertising from beer and soft drink companies and junk food. And maybe when they come from Mexico, their their diets have radically shifted. And this is not racism. And even if it were racism, you're not going to be prone to racism and you can be self-help. And I know that there's I don't want to short there's doctors and health groups that are trying to get the message out. But we have a problem with one out of every three to four people has diabetes at any age. Right. And, and so it's going to be a net. That is also when people are coming from one of the poorest places in the world that has the highest obesity rate of any UN nation of the 190 nations, and there is no audit at the border, health checks or anything. And when you come across the border, you come into the most sophisticated system in the world that has a high emphasis on social parity. Well, all the better. And when a person steps one foot in, you say, oh, my God, they don't have parity. They have health problems. They have uh diet problems. They're not going to have the same chance as this guy over here, this white man, 68 years old. We failed. We're going to your this is all racism. That's pretty much where we are. Yeah. And I don't know how you get out of that until well, you, somebody you, says that we love human life. And right. therefore, we're worried about our Latino U.S. population. And we can't absorb 5 million illegal entries in 24 months. Well, they shut the border down. If you want to come to the United States, you have to apply legally. And we have the right to ask you, do you speak English? Do you have a okay. high school diploma? And do you have work skills that will be productive when you arrive? And if you don't, we're going to let people first that do. And Well, if... Uh... If a La Raza that mattered, uh, that really cared about people, would, would try to internally address some of these important issues. Not the I, I doubt La Raza would ever do anything about the border, but uh, you know the the poor health generally of the Hispanic community. Why isn't a a, a national Hispanic organization con concerned about that? And well, there are there are, but they don't get any, they don't get much play. And to the degree they do get play, they are joined at the hip with the racist industry. So what I, everything I said, mm -hmm. if you were listening and you're a La Raza chauvinist, you would say, yeah, old white guy, you're right about that. 
the data is there, but why do you think that we're fat? Because we don't have enough money to go to Whole Foods and buy lettuce and and organic food. No, that's not true. I just went to this food market. It's a warehouse food market, and there is lettuce and there's all sorts of fruits and vegetables and nutritious food there and, and I, kids if are you getting meals people, at school too i mean it's not like there's a lot this stuff like this food deserts or i mean there's an abundance the weird, of food the weird thing is that it's the most expensive so when you look at these frozen foods and frozen right. pies and all this it's really expensive processed food yeah and yet people are buying it and you yeah. know and i don't know when you look I don't, at the ossification, I, let me just interrupt. I don't want yeah. my tax dollars buying Mountain Dews, no matter what situation. Isn't that just crazy in itself? Or fast you know? food, fast yeah. food. Yeah, it is. And what what what's sad is that when you get to a civilization, this is very this is a Roman theme that when the medicine is worse than the disease, then you're done for. So what I just said that the mm. effort to correct this problem is considered worse than the right. problem, right. then you're all through. Or yeah. if you say, we're having a number of near misses, three of them, one hit and two near lethal misses within a space of about 80 days, and there's something wrong with the FAA, and we've got to make sure that our hiring and retention is based on complete merit. And if you can't discuss that, then there's nothing you can do. Yeah, there's nothing, if you're going to destroy merit and the corrective for the discussion of merit is you're racist. And the same thing with with inordinate Africa. We've talked about that before, black crime. If you say it's a legacy of slavery or it's racist, it doesn't matter what cause, but you have to accept the data. And right. it's directed at people in terms of when it's hate crimes, there's a an inordinate amount of black males far greater than their numbers in the population that are attacking two particular groups that are way overrepresented as victims, Jews and Asian Americans. And if you don't want to talk about that, you can talk about the reasons, but if you're not willing to talk about it and even to raise it is considered racist, there's no hope. There's just no hope. Victor, we discussed in the past, I, I really would hate to think in 20 years or 30 years who, who, who might need brain surgery or heart surgery when you don't have a society of meritocracy and uh, who's going to be building the buildings that collapse when you don't have meritocracy and engineering. It's already, it's already happened. All you have to do, Jack, is just walk right down from my farm, get in the car, walk, drive five miles, and you can see Stonehenge, the yeah. high-speed rail. It's... 15 years, it's just a monument to the lack of meritocracy. Nobody knows what they're doing. It's cost overrun. Nobody knows what they can do. It's just it's just yeah. an example of what the civilizations become. I, uh, when I look at it, I, I say, where is the old robber baron, Leland Stanford, and Collis Huntington, and Mark Hopkins, and Charles Crocker, the old big four that built the Transcontinental Railroad, they could get this thing done and gosh, they could do it in three years. Yeah. Well, but you not in our lifetimes will that train ever run, I think. Victor. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so what's happening when people are aware of this, even the people who created this, they're cocooning 
and they are finding enclaves where they can escape this. And so they don't want to fight it. So if you don't have the means, you go to Florida or Tennessee or Nevada or Texas, if you're right. in class California, and you think you can escape it on the state level. And if you're very wealthy, you stay in California, in Carmel or La Jolla or Monterey or Palo Alto or Napa, and you have enough money to insulate yourself from the lack of meritocracy. But ultimately, you don't really, because you do right. have to get brain surgery and you do have to get on an airline and you do want your child to go to SAT, SAT camp and Stanford prep camp and right. get, get a 4.5 and a perfect SAT score. So you can say that Johnny and Jill, like you, went to Stanford and that's going to be entree to all of your network of you know high powered friends and jobs and advancement. And they're not going to get in. They are not going to get in, not with 23% acceptance of whites and 12% at most of white males. Mm -hmm. So you can't escape is what I'm talking about, right. the assault on meritocracy. It's everywhere. And I, I don't know if it'll, if it'll have any upside. Maybe, I don't know, maybe if you well, the idea that you're just going to drop standards everywhere and then you deny that you're doing so, it's going to. I don't know. Well, Victor, I see it in the armed forces very soon. I have my suspicions that when the entire uh, army contingent dissolves in a matter of, I don't know, 48 hours in Kabul and mm -hmm. just hands over, somebody makes a decision to hand over billions of dollars of sophisticated, expensive weaponry to terrorists. And then they brag about how successful the evacuation was. Right. People are falling off the plane and they're bragging about their ethnic food. They, they provided all of their refugees and they call that success. You can see what's happening to the military. And I think Laura Ingram got in trouble the other day. She said, can anybody remember when they won a war? Just, you know, it was. Grenada. Just, <laughs> well, they win. They win every battle they fight. Yeah. The soldiers on the ground are really good. But the officer corps and the people who put them in those situations can't translate tactical victory into strategic resolution. And, so, yeah. and I think it's because they're incompetent. And I'm not just talking about race. I don't know. I think it's ideology. How Mark Milley ever got, became chairman of the Joint Chiefs, I don't know. Yeah. But at some point, somebody should say to him, uh, wait a minute. You're the guy that lectured us on white rage and with no data and... You're the guy that called his Chinese counterpart up, and you're the guy that broke the chain of command and said the theater commanders report to you, and you're the one that put Professor Kendi on your reading list, and you're the one that said a photo op with the President of the United States was, I don't know, a mistake. You're the guy, that, and you told us Kabul was safe and sustainable. You told us that Kiev would fall very quickly, and you're still chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And you're in charge, I guess, an advisory camp, uh, role about giving opinions about balloons and such. And a balloon came from China and crisscrossed the United States. And you said, it wasn't, we're not sure it wasn't a weather balloon. No, check that. It was a spy device, but it's a very primitive one. And so it didn't really get any information. Check that. 
It does have some advantages of satellites, but we protected all of our instruments. Check that. But we couldn't shoot. It. We we couldn't shoot it down because uh, we didn't want to hurt people. Check that. The Aleutians only have one person per square mile. Uh, but we wanted it to fall in the ocean. But check that. But we couldn't let it fall in the northern Pacific because it was too cold and deep. So we let it. That's where we are. Victor, in your next life, you were coming back as a stand-up uh, comedian. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> much of what you just said, in the, I'm not even going to call it a rant, is repetitive to things that have been said on previous podcasts. But that leads us into this end of the podcast um, note where we do th- thank everybody for listening. We thank those who leave ranking ratings uh, on uh, iTunes slash Apple podcasts. We thank those who also leave comments and we read them. And here is one it's titled repetitive because it is necessary found Dr. Hansen four years ago. When I also became aware of Thomas Sowell, I've been a supporter ever since Victor addresses the same issues over and over, not because it is enjoyable, but because it continues to be necessary. I'm appreciative when he weaves in the message, a current event or a little known historical perspective, which continues to keep my interest. I hope someday soon enough people come to understand his reasoned analyses so that he can deviate into sharing optimism, fat chance, about how our newly adopted path will continue what has been. I'm very optimistic. I, thank you. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't do this if I was not. I believe the people I, who are listening are. That's one thing the conservative traditional side has. It has people who are very, very capable. Well, and and we believe back to the Latin masters that, that despair is a sin. Yeah. So Our we have problem to is that we're Marcus. Of, we're all Marcus of Queensberry rules people. Yeah. Well, I don't know, Victor. I think it's going to get. Uh, I'm but I'm uh, I'm getting uh, I'm getting some brass knuckles. But you know, oh. but, yeah, we're going to be one thing. I I like to say is that uh, Sammy and I are going to be talking now and then about wars in historical sense. So I said to her right. the other day. Why don't we just start with the Persian War? And I give an eight to nine minute synopsis of why you should study it. And right. we'll just work down through history to Vietnam. And we'll do I, it. You know, that'll we'll be do terrific. Peloponnesian War and Punic War yeah. and the campaigns of Belisarius and the Macedonian Wars and earlier Alexander the Great. We'll just do it in chronological order. And I think each one will have some interest, but we'll do it very short, but it will give us more of a historical perspective. Well, that's, that would be, um, that would be extremely popular. I'm yeah, sure I think we're going to do that each, each, uh, broadcast. Well, I just like to finally mention the person that wrote this was called Q ball and that's Q as in line. So thank you, Q ball. Hey, thanks uh, to those of you who have who have uh, found uh, civilthoughts.com and signed up to, in order to get the free weekly email newsletter I do for American Philanthropic, which is now AMPHIL. It's Center for Civil Society. I thank you. Uh, check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks to those who've left comments. Visit victorhanson.com. If you're on Facebook, uh, Victor Davis Hanson Fan Club. If you're on Twitter, at VD Hanson. That's Victor's handle. I'm at Jack Fowler, if you care. Hey, Victor, thanks. You've been great as usual. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We will be back soon with another episode of The Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you.